This past week, I was, I was, uh, I was talking with somebody about New Year's resolutions. How many of you, do anybody make New Year's resolutions? Anybody here? Some? Less, it seems like less and less people do. Um, I do. Some years I do. Some years I, I, I don't. But I was talking to somebody this year about New Year's resolutions, and we were just t- kind of talking about goals or hopes that we have for this, for this coming year. And this person shared with me that the, that the thing that they desire the most, the thing that they want most in this coming year is to know Jesus better. Just want to know Jesus better. The thing that they are resolved to pursue this year, I resolve to know Jesus better, to deepen my relationship with God. That's, that's what this person shared with me. And I thought, man, what a great resolution. What a great resolution. Not, not only for that person, but for every single one of us. And, and not just like for like, well, for 2024, I want to know Jesus better. 2025, don't really care, right? No, it's, it's for every single day of our life that we would know Jesus better, to wake up each day resolved to know God in, in a deeper way than we knew him the day before, to grow in our relationship with him. And, and of course, we all know, we know that if this is going to happen, in order for that to happen for that person or for any single one of us, it's going to take something. It's going to take time, right? Like any relationship that we have, whether it's with your spouse or, or with your children or, or with your, your neighbors or your friends, if you really want your relationship to grow, it's going to take time. It's going to take time sitting in his presence, It's going to take time in his word, feeding on the scriptures and the word of God. I've been so blessed uh, this this last week hearing from so many of you about the the reading plan that that I threw out there a few weeks ago that I do, and and so many of you are doing that right now and and sharing that you're really being blessed by it. That encourages me so much. Not because you like the plan that I like, but because that tells me you're in the word. You're spending time in his word. By the way, there's more copies of that reading plan out at the, at the uh, Welcome Center if you want to stop by and pick one up. But it's going to take time in His presence, take time in His Word. It's going to take time pouring out our hearts to God in prayer, communicating with God. You guys remember several, several months ago when I talked about what's the simplest definition for prayer? Three words, talking to God, Right? If we're going to grow in our relationship with the Lord, we, then it's going to be, uh, part of it is going to be through spending time in his word and, and, and spending time talking to the Lord through prayer. And over the next couple of weeks, as we continue our, our study in Luke's gospel, we're going to be focusing on the practice of prayer. As we pick up our study this morning in, in, in chapter 11, for the next 13 verses, we're going to be looking at Jesus' teaching on prayer. And I had hoped to do it all today, the 13 verses, um, but found out pretty quickly this week that, that we were only going to make it through the first, the first four. So we're going to look at the first four verses this week, and then we'll look at verses 5 through 13 next week. But let me, let me just tell you what my hope is. This, this is my hope for you, that, that we leave this place today as, we, as we're looking at this passage and this, this teaching of Jesus on prayer, that we would be filled with a desire to spend time connecting with the Lord through prayer. 
How many, just, just a quick show of hands, okay? No, no shame here. I'll keep my hand up nice and high. How many of you feel like you could grow in the area of prayer? Okay, right? We all can. We could all grow in this, in this area of, of, of prayer. Billy Graham said this. He said that prayer is a gift from God's hand, and he's given us the privilege of prayer because he loves us and he wants our fellowship. Do you think of prayer as a gift? I mean, not normally. I mean, but if you stop and think about it, you're like, oh yeah, Billy Graham is, is right. It's a gift. It's an extraordinary privilege that we have to be able to communicate with the God of the universe through prayer. The idea that the God of the universe is inclining his ear to listen to you what a gift, right? What a privilege that we have. Well, if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to begin this, this teaching from Jesus on, on prayer. We're going to start in verse 1. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So as chapter 11 begins, once again, we find Jesus connecting with his father in prayer. Jesus is the one who's, who's praying at this point. And it's something that we have seen repeatedly as we've been making our way through Luke's gospel, that, that Jesus was devoted to spending time in prayer, spending time getting alone and talking with his father. In chapter 3, in chapter 3, we read about Jesus praying at his baptism. In chapter 5, we read about Jesus, uh, said, he, uh, says that in, in verse 16, I believe, that, that he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. In chapter 6, on the night before that Jesus chose the 12 disciples, we're told that Jesus went out to the mountain and he spent the entire night in prayer with his father. In chapter 9, we read about three different occasions where Jesus was praying. He prayed before he fed the 5,000. And according to Matthew, after he had fed them and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to do what? To pray. Also in chapter 9, we read that when Jesus and his disciples were in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus was praying alone and the disciples were with him. You may recall that that's the place where Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, right? You're the Messiah. And again, in chapter 10, uh, chapter 9, rather, on the Mount of Transfiguration, we're told that Jesus took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white as he was praying. And in chapter 10, we read that, uh, we, we read about Jesus praying after the 72 disciples had returned from their mission. Jesus was devoted to prayer. Are we? Is prayer something that, uh, of primary importance 
in our lives, because it should be, right? I mean, if we say we're followers of Christ, that's what it means to be a Christian, then our lives should be patterned after Jesus, and Jesus was devoted to prayer. So should we. That's just the first 10 chapters. We're like halfway, not even quite halfway through this book, and we've seen it over and over, and we're going to continue to see the priority of prayer in the life of Christ. And so here again, in chapter 11, we see Jesus. He is praying to his Father, and once again, his disciples are there with him. I want you to think about that for a second. Can you imagine, can you imagine what it must have been like to be one of his disciples? Just just think about it just just for a, a, a moment. The disciples, they have a front row seat to, to the second member of the Trinity, the Son of God, talking with God the Father. Can, can you even get your head around what that must have been like for them? Imagine seeing with your own eyes the, the passion and the conviction with which Jesus prayed. You think he was kind of like falling asleep as he prayed, kind of half into it? mind wandering, bored. (laughs) No, right? Jesus prayed with conviction and passion. Can you imagine hearing with your own ears the love and the uncompromising devotion that Jesus had for his father and for his father's will? The type of love that would say, not my will be done, but your will be done. I don't want to go up on a cross and die, but not my will, but your will be done. To pray with such an intensity that, that... the sweat like drops of blood are dropping from his brow. Like, wow. Can you imagine the privileged position of these disciples to be able to watch the Son of God talking to God the Father? It's amazing, right? It's amazing. And I was thinking as I was just, you know, mulling that over, how blessed the disciples were that, that Jesus allowed them to watch him pray. And it's not just on this occasion that we're reading about today, but it was on many occasions. Jesus allowed his disciples to watch and listen as he talked with his father. And I want you to understand that it wasn't a performance. It's not like he was putting on a show for his disciples like, all right, I got to work up a really good looking prayer here for these guys to watch. No, he just invited them in to witness his authentic relationship with God the Father. He allowed them to witness this. He modeled for them what an authentic prayer life looks like. And I believe that their time observing Jesus in prayer was an important part of their discipleship. Jesus had invited them to become his followers, to follow him and learn from him. And they were learning how to communicate with God by watching Jesus communicate with God. Which got me to think further about how important it is for you and me to be praying with others. To be praying with others. I I, I think back on my own journey and, and how much of my growth has taken place from spending time with other mature believers who love God, listening to the way that they talk to God, watching the way that they live their lives. 
I think it's important that we invite, especially those people that we are mentoring and, and discipling, inviting them to come and pray with us and, and, and inviting them to realize that, that it doesn't have to be the perfect words. You don't have to have all the big ology words peppered throughout your prayer to have a meaningful prayer life. You don't need them. You just have to have an authentic heart talking to God. And I think that's what the disciples got to see in, in Jesus. We need to invite people to hear our authentic prayers, our, our communication with our Heavenly Father. And again, it's not so that we can put on a performance, right? We're not putting on a show for the people that we're praying with. Jesus warned against that in Matthew 6. If you haven't read Matthew 6, read, put that down like, okay, I got to read Matthew 6 later today. Jesus warned against that type of thing, praying for other people to hear you, putting on a show. But we should pray in such a way that they can see our love for Jesus, talking with him in prayer. And I was thinking, parents, do, do you invite your children to listen to you pray? I mean, do they hear you pray, uh, praying and praising God for the many blessings in your life? Do they hear you praising him for a sunrise or a sunset? Do they hear you saying, wow, God, you are so good. Look at that ocean, amazing. Do they hear you crying out to God for the needs that you have or the needs of others around you? Do they hear you praying in an authentic way, just talking to God? I think it's an important part of discipleship that we share that with one another. Jesus invited his followers to pray with him. They, they listened to him. They watched him as he talked to God. Well, on this particular occasion, Luke says that, that, that one of his disciples, apparently who has been maybe tapped on the sh shoulder to speak on behalf of the entire group, he says to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And I love the fact that, that, that Luke includes this little detail here. Luke says that they waited until he was finished. They waited till he was done. They don't want to interrupt. They don't want to interrupt what they're, what, they're, what they're witnessing here. They're like, man, this is amazing, watching Jesus talking to God. They're just taking it all in. And, and as they're watching Jesus pray, as they're, they're listening to Jesus talking with his father, this is what they're thinking. They're like, I want to pray like that. I want that. Look, we don't want to get the idea that the disciples never prayed before this. Like, gee, teach us how to pray. Like, they prayed. They grew up in the synagogue. They, they understood what it meant to pray, but there was something different about the way that Jesus communicated with God than everything that they had personally experienced and everything that they had seen by the religious leaders and the people in the synagogue around them. They're looking at Jesus like, wow, I, that, wow, that is prayer. I want that. And so they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. Come on, teach us how to pray like that. Teach us how to pray like you. We want that. As Warren Wiersbe points out, Jesus' disciples wanted to learn better how to pray. It's interesting that they did not ask the master to teach them how to preach or how to do great signs. They asked him to teach them to pray. We have no record of, of the disciples ever asking him to teach them anything else. They observed from him, 
but they never said, Jesus, teach us how to X, Y, or, or, or Z. The only thing we have, just teach us how to pray. And it's something that Jesus is more than willing to do. He's delighted to teach his disciples how to pray. Why? Because prayer is an essential part of our growing relationship with God. And here's the thing, when, when our relationship with God is as it should be, when we have a, a really good relationship vertically with God and we're connecting with him in prayer, guess what? All those other things, like how do I serve? How do I plan a church? How do I preach? How do I, it's all gonna work itself out, right? It's all gonna work itself. Everything, when our relationship with God is as it should be, everything else is, is gonna work out just fine. Our service for God needs to flow out of our relationship with God, not the other way around, not the other way around. And so Jesus, he's more than willing to teach his disciples how to pray. So in verse two, we read this prayer. We just sang it a few minutes ago. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This prayer is probably one of the better known portions of scripture, right? You've seen it on plaques. You've seen it. You've heard it. For centuries, this prayer has been referred to as it's, it's, the, it's the Lord's prayer. However, as many Bible teachers and, and commentators have noted, this prayer would actually be better titled as the disciples' prayer. Why? Because while it is the Lord who is teaching the prayer, it's a prayer that Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray. In fact, there's actually a part of this prayer in verse four that the Lord himself would never have prayed, right? What does it say? Forgive us our sins. Would Jesus ever pray, God, forgive me for my sins? Of course not. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. This is the disciples' prayer because we do sin, right? We do fall short. There is, however, there is a, another prayer in, in the Bible, it's in the book of John, that, that could definitely be described as the Lord's prayer. A couple of years ago, we did a, we did a short three-week series looking at, at what is known as the high priestly prayer. It's in John chapter 17. Again, write it down. You can read that this week. If you haven't read it recently, read it, read it this week. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer where we get a glimpse into the heart of Jesus as he's praying to his heavenly father. The, the prayer was one that he prayed on the night that he was betrayed, just before he would be crucified for our sins. We actually called uh, that, that three-week series, we actually called it the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. So today, I actually, I, not that anybody really pays attention to the titles of, of, of the message, but I, I called today's message the Disciples' Prayer. But 
if you go out of here and you tell people that we learned the disciples' prayer today, they don't, they're not going to know what you're talking about. So you just say, yeah, we were talking about the Lord's uh, prayer here in, in Luke chapter, chapter 11. It's, it's a well-known prayer. But I don't know if you noticed this, but as I was reading it, did, did you find yourself just kind of going like, it just didn't kind of flow off the tongue quite as smoothly as you remember it? Did you feel like it was like, like uh, there's something missing here? Maybe it's not as rhythmic or as poetic or as melodic as the one we sang earlier? That's because this, this version of the Lord's Prayer that we're reading here in Luke 11 is different than the one that most of us have committed to memory, which is found in Matthew chapter 6. Let me read that one for you. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm going to leave this one on the screen, and I'm just going to read it, and you'll see the slight variations here. Matthew chapter 6 says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Then he adds, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I find it fascinating that, that debts and sin are used in the same way because our sin is an incredible debt that we owe, isn't it? Anyway, he continues, he says, and lead us not into temptation, but then he adds, but deliver us from evil. Now, obviously, these two prayers are very similar. The one in Matthew chapter 6 and the one here in in Luke chapter 11. Um, But but what we need to understand is that the one in Matthew chapter 6 was actually taught on a totally different occasion. It was taught much earlier in, in in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's part of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. But here's the thing. The fact that, that these two prayers are, are so similar, they're similar, I mean, no doubt, right? But they're not identical, are they? They're not identical. They're not word for word. And who's praying them in both, in both cases? Who's praying them? Jesus, right? The fact that they're not the same tells us that this prayer that Jesus is teaching his disciples was never intended to be a formula for his disciples to simply recite verbatim. It was never intended to be that. Rather, it was a model for prayer that Jesus taught. If it was meant to be recited verbatim, you would think we might see it somewhere else in the, in, in, in the book of Acts. Maybe you'd see it in one of Paul's letters, right? But we don't see that, do we? But you do see the, the pattern in many prayers, you see the pattern. This is a pattern for prayer that Jesus is, is teaching to his disciples. Now, I have to say this though. With that said, is it wrong to, to recite the Lord's prayer? Is that wrong? No, of course not, right? Why? <laughs> because the prayer is wonderful. Those are wonderful things to pray. The key is making sure that you're not just you know, going into uh, vain repetition, but you're actually praying these things sincerely from your heart. If you mean it, that's a beautiful prayer. You can pray that every single day, 20 times a day if you want, if you mean it. It's a wonderful, wonderful prayer. 
So let's, let's go ahead now. We're gonna take a, a closer look at this prayer that Jesus is teaching to his disciples, this pattern of prayer. And the first thing that we're gonna notice about this prayer is that it begins with a very clear vertical focus. Look at what Jesus says in verse two. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. The first thing I want you to see is that when we we look at this prayer that Jesus modeled for his his disciples, Jesus is saying, like, when you pray, make sure that you are aware of who it is that you are talking to. Make sure that you take a moment to just pause and remember who it is that is on the other end listening to those prayers. It's a really good practice to pause before you just launch right into your prayers. To pause and think about who you're talking to. Talking to God, right? I read a story this week about former President Lyndon Johnson, where on one occasion, President Johnson's press secretary was praying before a a staff lunch. He He was saying grace before the meal. And President Johnson couldn't hear what the press secretary was saying or what he was praying. So so he shouted, speak up, Bill. I can't hear a thing. And the press secretary quietly replied, I wasn't addressing you, Mr. President. (laughs) Point taken, right? When we are praying, When we are praying, whether we're praying silently or whether we are praying out loud, whether we're praying in a group or whether we're praying in our prayer closet, God is the audience to whom we are speaking. You got to confess, sometimes we get caught up with the fact that we know that other people are listening to us, right? And if we're not careful, we start praying or even preaching at the people around us instead of talking to God. He's the audience of our prayers, isn't he? Notice the way that Jesus calls us to address him. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, when you pray, by the way, the assumption is that you will pray, right? It's not if you pray, it's when you pray. He says, say, Father, Father. I love what Chuck Swindoll writes. He says, the model prayer does not begin by calling God friend, as though we are his equals. It doesn't call God master, as though we are his slaves. Jesus didn't call him king, as though we are merely his subjects. The model prayer doesn't open with teacher as though we simply come to him for knowledge. Although God is indeed friend, master, king, and teacher, Jesus instructed us to address God as he does, Father. Brothers and sisters, if if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, When you are praying, you are talking with your heavenly Father. 
The Bible says that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you are a child of God. Just think about that. I'm a child of God. John chapter 1, verse 12, John says, to all who did receive him, that's Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he, he writes, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Think about how much love God has poured out on us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. We are sons and daughters of God. He is our father. And just as any good father wants to hear from his children, our heavenly father wants to hear from us. Think about how much it must break the heart of the father when his children don't even come to talk to him in prayer. So Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. I challenge you this week. It's not wrong to pray, to address God as God, Lord. That's great. He is. He's all of those things, as Chuck Swindoll says. But I challenge you this week in your prayers, before you start talking, to breathe and say, Father. Tell me, come back and tell me if that makes any impact on the rest of that prayer. I believe it will. I can tell you that my wife and I have been talking about it this week, and it's, it's, had a, it's had an impact on our prayers just this week to stop and say, Father. Now, in order for us to, to really fully appreciate the significance of Jesus inviting us to address God as Father, we have to understand, you have to understand something else, and that is that, that, that this was totally revolutionary at the, at the time. As soon as Jesus said this, when he, when he said, when you pray, say, Father, they went, <gasps> right? What? Say, what? Nobody, nobody referred to God with such familiarity. Nobody. In the Old Testament, God was rarely referred to as Father. And if he was referred to as Father in the Old Testament scripture, all 39 books, all 39 books of the Old Testament, if he was referred to as Father, it was always in the national sense of God being the Father of the nation of Israel. Never in, in a personal way or, or in personal prayer, like my personal father. That would, that would consider like inappropriate, rude to address God with such familiarity. Nobody did this until Jesus, until Jesus. Over and, and over again, I didn't take the time to count it, but I read somewhere in one of, in one of the commentaries I read this week that some, some like 60 times in the gospels, Jesus refers to God as father, as father. He's only referred to as father something like 15 or 16 times in the entire Old Testament. In, in the gospels alone, Jesus refers to him as father something like 60 times. Again, don't quote me on that because I, I, didn't, I didn't actually go through and, and, and count them. But this is, this is radical. This is revolutionary. 
over and over throughout the Gospels, we see this. And Jesus doesn't just refer to God as his father. He invites his followers, you and me, to refer to him as father as well. Guys, we have an incredibly, incredibly privileged position as we come to prayer. That's important to, to know as, as we talk uh, about prayer. What an amazing gift that we've been invited to approach the God of the universe as his beloved children. So when we approach God in prayer, we should first come to him as our heavenly father. There is, there is familiarity. But second, Jesus instructs his followers to come to God in reverence, in reverence. Look at what Jesus says. He says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. What, is it, what does it mean to be hallowed? You guys use that every day? You use that word a lot? To be hallowed is to be set apart. It's to be holy. It's to be revered. This word also carries with it the idea of being lifted up, to be exalted, to be, to be glorified, set apart from everyone and everything else. Jesus says when we approach our heavenly Father in prayer, we come to him with a desire for his name to be set apart, to be lifted up, to be glorified, and, and to speak of God's name, when we say the name of God, it's to speak of, of, of all of who God is, his character, his being, all of his, all of his glorious attributes. He's saying, may that name, all of who you are, be set apart, lifted up, glorified, magnified above every other person and every other thing. That's the attitude that we should be coming to God with in prayer. It's not flippant. We don't like, hey, what's up, dad? I ain't got time for you. That's how we treat our earthly dads, right? We don't, we don't approach our heavenly father that way. As Charles Spurgeon noted, familiarity there may be, but let it not be unhallowed. Boldness there should be, but let it not be impertinent. You are still on earth and he in heaven. Think about that, right? That's powerful. Spurgeon goes on to say, let us ask the Spirit of God to put us in a right frame, that every one of our prayers may be a reverential approach to the infinite majesty above. Wow. When we approach God in prayer, yes, we, we come to Him as our Father, but we come to Him in awe, right? with a desire for him to be glorified above all. It's God, let your name be magnified in the earth. Let your name be lifted up high above everything else. Nothing should compare with you, God. Father, Father, hallowed be your name. And then Jesus says that we should pray, your kingdom come. Now, in Matthew's re recording of this model prayer, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But again, Jesus prayed both of those prayers. He doesn't include that second part here. But, but know this, to pray for God's kingdom come 
is to pray for his will to be done. It is his will for his kingdom to come, right? So you are praying his will be done when you pray his, his kingdom come. But let, let's talk just a little bit about the idea of praying thy kingdom come. On the one hand, on the one hand, it is a prayer for his future kingdom. It is. It's a prayer for, for God to establish his complete rule and reign on the earth. He is going to do that. Pastor Henry talked about that last week. The Bible says that Jesus is going to return. He's going to set up his kingdom. I, I love it. If you turn to the very last page of your Bible, okay, not the last page because you probably have dictionary in the back and maps, but okay, if you turn to the last part of the scriptures, Revelation, the very last chapter, chapter 22, the second to last verse, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20 says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. So on the one hand, we join that prayer. Every time we come to God, we join with that prayer saying, thy kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus. Come set up your kingdom. We can't wait for that to happen. Right? Are you looking forward to that? Yeah, me too. But it's more than just a prayer for a future coming kingdom. When we say, thy kingdom come, it's more than that. It's a prayer for his will right, and his kingdom to be experienced here, now, in the present. That, that, that part of his kingdom come and his will be done is transforming lives, taking people who are separated from him because of sin and restoring them back into a right relationship with God, bringing healing to broken relationships, right? That's the kingdom of God coming into the here and now, setting people free from addictions and, and all manners of sin. That is the kingdom of God rushing into the here and now. When we pray thy kingdom come, we're asking for that too. And when we ask for that, what we're really saying is, God, thy kingdom come. God, help me to be a part of bringing your kingdom here and now. It's me submitting to his kingdom. It's me submitting to him as the king and submitting to his will to be accomplished in the earth and in my life. That's what it means to pray, thy kingdom come. Do you think about those things when you recite the Lord's Prayer? Honestly, I don't normally think quite that deeply about it, right? But it's important that we do. It's important that we do. This model prayer that Jesus gives, it, it begins with just this really clear vertical focus. It, it's a focus on our relationship with God, and it's a focus on our submission to his will and, and his glory. That's the way that Jesus says that we're supposed to approach God when we come to him in prayer. I got a long ways to go in my prayer life. How about you? Isn't he good that he's so gracious and patient with us? He's helping us to grow. But the prayer doesn't stop there, though. As we come to our Father with this, with this vertical mindset, this is mind-blowing to me. We come to him with his glory and his will as our priority. Jesus then invites us to present our needs to God, 
Does it blow your mind that the, the fact that the, the, the majesty on high even cares about your needs? That's pretty amazing that he actually even cares. Look at what he says in verses three and four. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Jesus instructs his followers to bring their needs to God in prayer, both their physical needs and their spiritual needs. First, Jesus tells us that when we pray, we should ask God to give us each day our daily bread. How crazy is that? God cares about your physical needs. He cares about the, the, the things that we need to survive. Things like food, water, clothing, shelter. In Matthew chapter six, he tells his followers that, listen to this, he says, you don't need to worry about any of those things. In Matthew chapter six, verses uh, 31, 32, Jesus said, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? He says, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows that you need that stuff. But then Jesus says that you don't need to worry about those things. But in verse 33 of chapter six, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. If you're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, you're seeking his glory, his name to be magnified, you don't have to worry about all that other stuff. He says he knows you need it. Okay, which begs the question, right? It begs the question. If God says he will provide all of those things, why do we need to pray for them? Jesus is telling us to pray for them. Here's why. Here's why. When we come to our heavenly father and we ask for his provision, when we say, Father, give us each day our daily bread, we are acknowledging our dependence on God to provide everything we need. We're confessing that all we have is from him. I think this is a particularly important part of the prayer for, for people living here in the West who are, who are surrounded with such affluence. We need to pray this prayer, give us our daily bread. God, provide the things that I need because we are way too prone to become self-sufficient and forget that every good and perfect gift came from him. You need him. You're dependent on him. And when we stop and say, God, give us this day our daily bread, we're actually saying also, God, thank you that you gave me the bread yesterday. The fact that I slept under a roof last night was a gift from you. The fact that I have clothes on my back, the fact that I have food in my belly was a gift from you. We should pray, give us this day our daily bread. We want to give him glory for all that he has provided. And so Jesus tells us to, to pray to our heavenly father in heaven and to provide our physical needs, but he doesn't stop there. He tells us that we should pray for our spiritual needs as well. Verse four, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. The greatest, the greatest need that every soul has is not bread for your mouth. The greatest need you have is the forgiveness of sins. And the good news that we call the gospel is that through Jesus and through his sacrificial death in our place, our sins can be forgiven. 
When we come to Jesus by faith, confessing our sins, turning to him as our Lord and Savior, God forgives our sins, right? The Bible says in Romans chapter eight, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Psalm 103 verse 12 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Amen? Amen. But here's the thing. Even though as Christians our sins have been forgiven, right, we still sin, don't we? 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But then in verse 9, he says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guys, as much as we need daily food to sustain us, we need to daily confess our sins to God our Father. We need to. We need to confess the ways that we have fallen short. We need to ask him for his forgiveness. Why? Because our sins create a barrier in our relationship with God. Our relationship is not what it should be while we have unconfessed sin in our lives. And you might think, oh, my relationship with God is just fine. I've got this sin over here and and I'm managing it just fine. I'm telling you, your relationship is not what it should be if you've got unconfessed sin. And I'm not saying that you're not uh, uh, saved. That's not what I'm saying. Although if you're willing to continue to live in sin and not confess it, you do, according to the scriptures, have reason to cause whether or not you are truly, to, to question whether or not you are truly his. That's just the facts. But when we have unconfessed sin, it is a barrier in our relationship with God. We need to keep short accounts with God, praying, God, forgive me for the ways that I've fallen short. I don't want anything to be a barrier in my relationship with you. And I wish I could skip skip this next part. I really do. But notice that there's a condition that Jesus places on this request for forgiveness. Jesus says, forgive us our sins, For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do you? Have you? Oof. In Matthew, Jesus says it this way, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In the same way, forgive us, in the same way that we have forgiven others. St. Augustine referred to this as the terrible petition. The terrible petition, because if we pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, and if we pray it with an unforgiving heart, you're actually asking God not to forgive you. Whoa. Oh, I never thought about it that way. As those who have been forgiven much, as followers of Christ, we have an obligation to forgive others. We have an obligation. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. How? As God in Christ forgave you. Wow. 
True Christians have not only received forgiveness, they extend forgiveness to others. Now, that doesn't mean that it's easy. Like, oh, that's easy. Just forgive everybody. No matter what they do to you, it's just easy. You just say, I forgive you. And it's no, it's hard. It's not easy. It rarely is. But I believe that with Christ's help, we can offer the same grace, the same mercy and forgiveness that we ourselves have received. We can. Finally, at the end of verse four, as Jesus ends this model prayer, he tells his disciples to pray and lead us not into temptation. And again, if we, if we read Jesus' prayer in Matthew, we see that he adds these words, but deliver us from evil. Brothers and sisters, this, this is the prayer of someone who recognizes their own weaknesses. That I am tempted, right? I, I'm still in the flesh. I, I'm still tempted by sin, Show me, a, show me a human being who's not still dealing with temptation and I'll show you somebody who's already dead and in the presence of the Savior, right? This is the prayer of someone who doesn't want to fall into temptation. It's the prayer of someone who wants to live a holy and righteous life. It's a prayer for God the Father to protect us from the temptations of the enemy, to give us strength to resist the pull of sin in our lives. There's an awesome promise in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, a remarkable promise of scripture. Paul says that there is no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Isn't that an awesome promise? That's an awesome promise. We pray, God, deliver us from evil. Protect us from temptation. So, that's the disciples' prayer, or the Lord's prayer, however you want to call it. It's a pattern of prayer that Jesus gave to his followers. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Next week, we're gonna, we're gonna look at the next nine verses, verses five through 13. As, as Jesus continues this, this, this teaching on, on prayer, but before we close, I cannot stress enough I cannot stress enough that this, that this prayer that Jesus taught was not meant to be a formula. It's not a formula. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. It's a model for how we should approach our, our heavenly Father. There are times when we just simply cry out and say, God, I need you. Oh, you forgot to say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be that... No, Lord, I need you is a perfectly acceptable prayer. Absolutely. As Pastor Kent Hughes writes, I love this. He says, we are not enslaved to the structure or obligated to always follow it. For example, he writes, when Peter cried out, Lord, save me, when he began to sink, if he had begun first with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, 
he would have been blowing bubbles before he got to the point. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Right? What, what's the most important part of what we bring to prayer isn't the formula. It's a sincere and God-honoring heart. That's what we need to bring to prayer. Prayer is it, it, it's talking with God, knowing that, that He is listening. It's an extraordinary privilege that we come to Him as our Father. We approach Him with reverence, right, as we pray for His name to be, to be lifted up, for His will to be accomplished in the world and, and in our lives. Brothers and sisters, we can, we can come to God with our needs. He wants to hear from you. He wants you to bring your needs to him, both your physical needs and your spiritual ones, recognizing that, that you are totally dependent on him for everything that you have and trusting him to lead you and to guide you every single day so that we might live our lives in a way that bring him glory in everything we do. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we, as we close in prayer. It's funny, I told them this morning, preaching on prayer, I'm nervous to pray at the end. I'm so nervous because I know you guys are all going to be judging my prayer. He didn't say Father at the beginning. We don't want that to be the case, Right? We just want to pour our sincere hearts to God, our authentic love for Him to be in our prayers. And I want to encourage you, don't, don't judge each other, right? Pray with one another and grow in your relationship with God and with each other. Amen? Let's pray. You are our Father. And we are so grateful that we can come to you and talk to you knowing that you wait with an inclined ear to hear from your children. And God, I pray that, that today, as a result of listening to these words that, that your son Jesus taught, that each one of us would have a desire to spend more time with you, God. To be in your presence, our Father, talking to you, growing in our relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would fill us with an incredible desire for your name to be magnified in this world. For your name to be glorified through the way that we live our lives. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the incredible sacrifice that you made to make this relationship possible. I pray that as we draw closer to you, that you would work in and through us to help others to know forgiveness, to experience forgiveness, to experience the, the power of your kingdom in their lives. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for all the incredible provisions that you've poured on our lives. And we continue, God, may we continue to come with you expressing our needs knowing that you love us and you provide everything that we need.
And as we leave this place, Lord Jesus, we do ask for your safety to protect us on our way home. Keep us safe on these roads today. Reunite us with our families. And God, help us to shine bright wherever you have us today and in these coming days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.